Well, good evening. I want to kind of give everybody an update of what happened this weekend. Um, I wish I could have got a picture of my adults' faces when they walked into the room. Uh, when you walk into a room and you see a room large enough and has a seating capacity for 7,500 people, it kind of blows your mind. This weekend, there were between 14 and 16,000 people that went to Pigeon Forge to worship God and learn about God. Um, we were in the late session, and that was good because we couldn't get out of that cabin to be there by 7.30 in the morning. <laughs> but throughout the weekend, I think it was a huge success. I asked the kids, you want this to be an annual event? And I got immediate responses of yes. They really enjoyed it. Um, had a weekend talking about power. Power of God, power of Christ, power in the Word. Had some very powerful messages from some very faithful men, very sound men in the church. Had some entertainment that was there. And throughout just this weekend, because of messages that were heard and hearts that were convicted, there were 30 young people who put on Christ in baptism just this weekend. And several that responded saying that they needed to change some things in their lives. So it's a very powerful event and very moving. They did have fun, got to go out and have some fun, but the main reason was there to learn more about God and get closer to God. So I'm going to have some pictures on the uh, website, uh, the Facebook page for you to see. And if you're curious about what it is, you can just go to cyconline.com and check that out. But tonight, I want to look at something a little different. I want to look at paradoxes of Christianity. And paradox can be defined as a paradox is seemingly absurd or self-contradictory statement or proposition that when investigated or explained may prove to be well-founded or true. Okay? Some examples. Your friend's enemy is your friend. Doesn't really make sense, but when you put it together, it can be found to be true. Some make sense, some don't. I am nobody. Well, everybody is somebody. We can't be a nobody. This one here I don't agree with. What a pity that youth must be wasted on the young. I am exhausted from this weekend. They have more energy than I do, yes. But what a pity youth must be wasted on the young. A paradox. Is it true? A wise fool. A wise fool. Put them together and they may make sense. Truth is honey, which is bitter. I was talking with Sarah on the way home. I need to get some more honey from Caleb. I love that honey. It is so good. Honey is not bitter. But here, this paradox, truth is honey, which is bitter. But sometimes the truth can be bitter. Or this one here. I can resist anything but temptation. We use that word anything. It excludes everything. But it does make sense. So here's a definition of biblical paradox. Statements that appear contradictory on the surface, but when paired next to one another, understood in context, such statements complement one another to reveal a more full picture of truth. There are some paradoxes as Christians that we're going to look at that we need to understand. And I think that we do understand some of them, and the world does not. There are things that we do as Christians, things that we participate in, ways that we act, different things about our lives, different aspects of our lives that the world doesn't understand. Because when they look at it, it doesn't make sense. 
But the reason it makes sense to us is because of this right here. This written Word of God. This God-breathed message to us that we read, and this is inspired by God. This is coming from the Creator. And these are the things that we need to do. This is how we live our life. And this is how we can show the world around us and the people around us that we are different. So the first one. We must die in order to live. Now that makes absolutely no sense. You need to live in order to not die. But when you think about it, as a Christian, in different scriptures we look at, if you will go ahead and turn with me to Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. There's a song that the kids sing at different youth events, at youth camps. I know this is one we did at youth camp when we worked in Illinois. And it's Galatians 2.20. And we read, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The idea that we need to die in order to live is that we die to all of our worldly desires. We die to all the things that the world has trained us and told us, this is how you're supposed to live. These are things you need to do in your life. We put those things to the side. We die. Let's break down this verse. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. To be crucified, we know what the crucifixion of Christ was. He was put up there to die. We've been crucified with Christ. And he goes on to say, it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. That's where the people will see it. That it's not me living for my desires. It's not me living for the things that I want. But everything that I do illuminates Christ. Everything that I do, they should see Christ living in me. They should see the things. They should see this walking around. This book right here. Should, I should be a walking, talking Bible to people around me. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in this flesh... I live by faith in the Son of God. To live by faith. Think about that for a moment. To live by faith. Live by something that I can't see. Something I can't feel. Something I can't hear or touch. But I believe what God has said. I believe what I read in this book. And that's the life I'm going to live. And if there's things out there in this world that I avoid because God said... You do not need to participate in those things. You do not have those things in your lives or those things I am doing. But the world says, why are you doing that? Why are you doing those things? It's because I have died to myself in order to live for Christ, to live for the one who died for me. That's one of the paradoxes. The next one, we must suffer in order to be rewarded. Turn from the to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verse 11 and 12. Here Jesus speaking says, Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus says some things in this Sermon on the Mount. Turn the other cheek. 
someone slaps you in your right cheek, turn him to the other cheek. The idea of suffering. Why do we suffer? Because we don't live like the rest of the world does. I think they understood it. I think the Christians in the first century maybe understood this better than we do because of the type of persecution they went under. We can read about the persecution of the church in the book of Acts. You can read some historical books out there. John Fox wrote a book called Fox's Book of Martyrs. And it starts with Stephen and goes through the year 2000. It talks about all these Christians in different parts of the world that suffered because they lived for Christ. They suffered because they were living differently. And even when their governments told them, you cannot do that. You need to deny that and we'll, you'll live. But if you don't, you're going to die. They fully understood that this kind of suffering brings an eternal reward. Now, in today's society, how do we suffer? There's different ways. I mean, one way I can think of right now is, you know, if there's a group that comes in here and we start preaching against things that they believe when they practice... They can sue us because we're discriminating against them. There may be other ways that we're discriminated against or we suffer. You know, I, I saw a picture recently on social media and it was a picture of a little boy that was sitting at the table in the lunchroom by himself with his food in front of him and his head bowed. And all the kids in the background were laughing at him because he was praying. And it said, follow God even when nobody else will. The whole world's laughing at us because we're following God. Because that's not, that's not what you need to do in this life. We suffer differently because we understand the reward. We understand what God has waiting for us. This next one. Turn, if you will, to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. And it says there, We must hate in order to love. That's completely opposite what we know. Well, I don't know. I grew up with three brothers. I could express a lot of love and hate in those days. But we must hate in order to love. If you turn to 1 John chapter 2, beginning in verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. You think about it. The, the world around us is constantly trying to push God out of the picture. The things that are in the world try to help us or persuade us to push God out of the picture, to push God out of our lives. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. The idea of all these things out here that are anti-God, anti-Bible, anti-Christ, we can't have a desire and a passion and pursue after those things and still try to pursue after God. Verse 16. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, it is not from the Father, but is of the world. If you look at, if you can think about any sin that anybody could commit, that God could say, that's a sin, that's going to separate you from me, and you're condemned to go to hell. You can put it in one of these categories. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eye, and the boastfulness, boastful pride of life. All sins can be put in one of those categories. He says not to love these things. Because these things are pulling us away from God. 
These are things that try to stop us from pursuing the eternal reward. I heard something said this weekend, and it wasn't during one of the sessions where someone was speaking. I'm pretty sure it was during one of the the entertaining things. Kids, correct me if I'm wrong. But the man said, God wants you in heaven more than you want to be in heaven. God wants you in heaven more than you want to be in heaven. He wants us there. He wants us to be there. Peter said that God is patient towards all, not wanting any to perish, but everybody to come to everlasting life. God wants us to be there. Yet all these things in the world are trying to push us away from that. And there's nothing wrong with having pleasures in this world, fun things that we do. You know, this weekend we went for a fun spiritual uplifting thing. But me and the girls went and rode go-karts in our free time. Our hands were numb and frozen by the time we got done. But it was good, clean fun. There are things in the world we can do that are fun. But yet there are those things in the world that get intertwined with that fun stuff that can pull us away from God. That can bring us away from that narrow way that we're going. Verse 17. And the world is passing away and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Think about the things that God has to offer us. Think about the things that the world has to offer us. The things that the world has to offer us are temporary. And here John says the things of the world are passing away. They're going to be gone. And what's going to be left? The things that God has provided here for us. So we must make sure that we hate the things in this world that we know are pulling us away from God in order to love the things that God has put there for us in order to pursue that relationship with Him. We must be followers in order to lead. Turn for what to John chapter 13. John chapter 13. Beginning in verse 13. Again, Jesus speaking. You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things... You are blessed, this last part's important, if you do them. If you do them. You must be a follower in order to lead. If we're going to lead people to Christ, we have to make sure that we are following Christ. Here, Jesus washed the disciples' feet. He said, I washed your feet, you also have to wash one another's feet. And this whole context is talking about being a servant. Being one who serves somebody else. But the idea we're talking about here is if we're going to lead people to Christ, we need to be following Christ. If we're wanting to tell people, encourage them, hey, you need to be reading your Bible. Are we reading our Bible? You need to be making sure that you're talking to God and keeping that relationship and that communication open. Are you talking to God? You need to make sure that you're getting out of the world and getting energized and refueled. How do you do that? Come and worship God. 
Be with his people. Another comment that was made this weekend was it was the title of a lesson talking about this book right here. And, and here's the thought. This, this is the Bible. We're going to call it a book. Is this a book or is this the book? Is it just a book that's in our lives or is it the book that is in our lives that we let guide us? The idea is if we're going to lead people to Christ, we need to be able to be following Christ. I knew a gentleman in Kentucky and he was in his 80s. Never did play pool with him because I heard if he, I played pool with the kids this weekend and I, I beat some of them. But this guy here, you start playing a game with him and he'd run the table on you, then he'd hit all your balls in. And you might get a chance to hit the ball after about four or five games. He was that good. But this man also knew the plan of salvation, frontwards and backwards and inside out. If you came to him and you said something to him about the scriptures, about doctrine, and he knew that it did not coincide with what this said, he could go toe-to-toe with you and prove to you by this book, that you were wrong. And he did that for years. Years before I got there and for, for a few years while I was there. His wife went to church with us. And like I said, he knew the, the plan of salvation frontwards, backwards, and inside out. But he wasn't a Christian. He never obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ. And his wife wanted him to be a Christian, wanted him to be a child of God, wanted him to have his sins washed away. And she tried to live the life that she could, being a follower in order to lead him. And about five weeks before her death, he put on Christ at 86 years old. He now could lead because he was following the way that he knew this taught in order to lead. We need to make sure that if we're going to try to lead somebody to Christ or lead somebody in the right path of doing the right things, that we are following Christ and we are following what it says in this book. And then the last one. We must become the least in order to be the greatest. From our text tonight in Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20. Beginning in verse 25. Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. This one in the world today will not make a lot of sense. Everybody wants to be the greatest. They want to be top dog. They want to be the best. And that's the way the world works. That's the way human nature works. We want to be on top. We want to be the best at what we do. But it's completely different with God. If you want to be the greatest in the kingdom, the greatest example, 
the greatest in order leading people to Christ. The key word here is humility. Humility. Whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. The idea of being a servant. The idea of being humble. The idea of being one who doesn't act like the world around us. But when we look at Christ, we can see the examples that he had. What did Christ have for people? Matthew 9 says he had compassion for people. In this world, people don't have compassion. Have compassion for people. Have a desire to want to lead people to Christ. There's a gentleman that I know, um, I've not seen him in years, and they say, you know, the Bible says everybody has a talent. Everybody has a gift, and you've got to figure out what that gift is or what God has given you, and, and that's what you do. This gentleman is very compassionate. He is a grief counselor. And he is compassionate enough that that's all his life is consumed with, is people who have lost loved ones. He, he helps them through what they're going through, helps them through all this grief and this loss, trying to find a new normal in their lives. And I was listening to him one time, we were talking, and he does something that I've never heard of. He says, when you lose a loved one, it's never the same. It's always difficult. And every year that the anniversary date comes around, all these emotions and feelings get, get worked up. He says, so here's what I do. And he does this for hundreds of people. Every year on the death anniversary of the loved one, he sends a sympathy card. And he does this for five years. Five years. He's serving these people, trying to help them through their grief trying to help them through the struggles that they're having. If we want to be the greatest, we need to be humble. We need to have humility in our lives. And when I started this lesson, I was talking about the idea that the world does not understand this. People in the world and people who are not chasing after Christ, seeking after Christ, will not understand the idea of why we need to die. Why we need to die to things around us. But when you become a child of God and you start walking that path and start following what's in this book, we understand that's what that means. And only then will it click. The idea of these others suffering in order to be rewarded. We are going to suffer differently. We are a different type of people because we are searching after something that's completely different. This third one, hate in order to love. We understand why we need to hate those things in the world because they're pulling us away from God. They're pulling us away from the eternal destination that we have. You need to be followers in order to lead. The world doesn't understand that. But we do because we understand that we're trying to follow Christ. We're trying to follow the example He has set for us. We're trying to look at the words that He has put in this book in order to help us go down that straight and narrow path. And it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy. Walking the Christian walk is very difficult. I will not stand here and lie to you and say it's just sunshines, lollipops, and rainbows. It is not. The easiest part about becoming a Christian or being a Christian is becoming a Christian. Coming forward, whether it's tonight or any other time, or calling somebody and say, hey, I'm ready to make that choice. And you have your sins washed away in baptism. That's the easiest part. Walking the walk every day is the hard part. But we are following Christ. 
And that's what makes it so much easier. And that last one, to become least in order to be the greatest. The idea of living a life of humility. Because when you think about it, Jesus died for you. God allowed him to go through that because that's what was necessary. And when we understand the love that Christ has for us and the love that God has for us, that'll put you on your knees. That'll help you understand that nothing else in the world matters but this relationship that I have with God. So paradoxes of Christianity. Things that don't make sense to the rest of the world, but to us who are in that and we're walking that, we understand that. So we're going to open the invitation here tonight to anyone. If you are here and you're not a child of God and you're ready to take that step, I will tell you, stepping out in that aisle is extremely scary. It is nerve-wracking. But what you're doing is you're not coming forward and telling us what's going on. You're coming forward and telling God, I'm ready to make a change. I'm ready to set my life straight. So if you're here tonight and you want to take that step, we can assist you. Or if you're here and you are a child of God, you'll be walking down the wrong path. You've got things going on in your life that you need to get rid of. You need the prayers of the church. Prayer is a powerful thing. Think about it. You're talking to God. You're talking to the Creator. He said, ask and you shall receive. So if you're here tonight and you're a child of God and you need the prayers of the church, we want to assist you, whatever you need might be, why don't you come now while we stand and while we sing.